0: Really glad to see all of you here this morning. We are in for a real treat. Uh, we have the privilege of welcoming to our pulpit a really dear friend of mine. He's been here before. Uh, we're gonna welcome Dr. Ken Horton. Some of you re- remember uh, Dr. Horton. He's been at our men's retreat for us. He's also preached here before. For some of you who are new, let me give you a little background. He is an Auburn Tiger, graduated from there. Uh, had spent some time in the, with the Air Force in the space surveillance uh, area. And then following that, uh, he, for 27 years, was the senior pastor of McKinney Memorial Bible Church. He's got his Ph.D. in Old Testament from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he is also an adjunct professor there as well. And his wonderful wife, Kathy, was not able to be with us today, but we've got you, Ken, and we're really thrilled to have you. So, Ken, why don't you come on up here, and we want to welcome you to Fellowship. It is great to be with you again this morning and uh, to share this time with you. Uh, it's foggy between here and Fort Worth, at least it was this morning when I uh, rode, uh, drove down here and so I'm glad to be here safely with you. Uh, I noticed in your schedule that Grant had preached in the book of James and he'd done a sermon on Proverbs chapter 9. And when I thought about this morning, I want to sort of continue the thoughts of that series by focusing on Proverbs 16. But I want to show you a picture. This is a precious picture to me. Uh, It is a picture of two of my three grandchildren. It's Avery and her little brother, Reed. Avery's almost four. Reed has just turned one. And there's two things. I've got another grandson who's eight months old named Jacob, uh, but I didn't have a picture of the three of them together yet uh, that I could get my hands on. But there's a couple of things I know about children. I'm sure I noticed this when I was a parent, but you notice new things when you have grandchildren. First of all, even tiny children are sinners. They become selfish almost out of the womb. Uh, And the older sister is provoking the sinfulness of her younger brother on a pretty regular basis. Just amazing to watch. As long as he was sort of swaddled and couldn't interfere with her life, she was ooing and aahing about her brother. But now there's conflict brewing between the two of them. Now, the second thing I've noticed is that they're scientists. Uh, they wonder what will happen. She at some point wondered what would happen if she pushed him when he was just learning to walk. It was not a happy experience. She looked, she. Put that data away. He's trying to figure out how he can climb everything. We've got a climber on our hands. Have anybody ever raised a climber? It's quite it's one thing for him to be running, but everything he sees, he's trying to see if he can get up on it. Because he wants to ask the question, what would that be like to be up on there? I wonder if I could stand up on that chair, that stool. They are scientists. They're always experimenting. And the truth is, he's going to learn and she's going to learn lots of things the hard way. And even people as old as me still, unfortunately, keep learning things the hard way. The book of Proverbs is given to us so that we don't have to learn everything the hard way. God says, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to learn some things the hard way, sometimes because... You just didn't anticipate it. But sometimes because you disregarded what I clearly told you. And so this morning we're going to focus on a chapter right in the middle of the book of Proverbs that helps us understand how we can learn as much as possible the easy way. So that when we learn things the hard way, hopefully we can put it into a context that allows us to keep moving forward without too much damage. This morning, we're going to talk about life and the work of God as a tapestry. You see a picture on the screen of a, of a tapestry. It has uh, vibrant colors. I think you do. There you go. Uh, this is a tapestry that is that was made in 1505 by Flemish artisans. Uh, that would be in the Dutch area of Belgium. It is entitled, The Last Judgment. I don't know if you know anything about tapestries. This is now in Massachusetts in a museum. But tapestries have two basic grids. There is the vertical grid of the wharf, and there's the horizontal grid of the uh, of the weft, Or the weft, rather, the weft. And when you look at a tapestry, you don't see anything of the wharf. All the vertical are invisible on the visible side of the, the tapestry. But it's those things, those fabrics that hold everything together, that bound the size of the tapestry. And though you can't see them, they are critical to the stability and the beauty and the function of this work of art. This morning, as we think about what God is doing in our lives, and as we wrestle through wisdom, we need to understand that though it is usually invisible in our rush and hurried life, there is a vertical skeleton and work and structure that is holding all of it together. In fact, in the book of. Uh, Colossians, it talks about that Jesus Christ holds everything together. There's a proverb at the beginning of the book, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Probably you've memorized this verse if you've memorized any verse in the Bible. It says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Another translation says He'll make your paths smooth. And the Word actually is even more proactive. He'll actually clear the path for you. There's a sense in which God wants to work in your life so that He is proactively clearing the path. So that your life can be full of the fruitfulness and the fulfillment that He has prepared for your life. In fact, you know from Ephesians 2.10 that you as, as a follower of Christ are a work, piece of work, a a. Work of art, even. Maybe both. Both a piece of work and a work of art. And that God has prepared good work for you to do beforehand. He is going before you to prepare you and the circumstances you'll face so that you will be involved in the things that will honor Him and bless your life. And Proverbs 16, rather, is an extrapolation on that concept of how God works in our lives. I've entitled it, Wisdom for Life's Choices. So that you and I can experience the life that God weaves together that allows us to know His purpose for us. And as we talk, talk about this passage, I want you to understand that your focus shapes your choices. If you focus on your circumstances, good or bad, and you're always trying to manage your circumstances and manipulate your situation and get what you want out of any particular circumstance, if that's your focus, uh, you're going to end up with a different kind of life because you'll be drawn to try to use people to get what you want. If you focus on God and His character, you'll see life through a different lens. In this section of the Proverbs, we're challenged to start with focusing on God's character. One of the questions you need to ask, whether you're a young person, whether you're a young couple raising kids, perhaps a mature person or a person who's gray-headed like me. There's a verse in this passage I particularly like. My kids often say, Dad, you don't have gray hair. You have white hair. You have gone beyond gray hair. But no matter where you are in life, one of your questions is, do you have a plan for making wise decisions? If you don't have a plan for it, uh, you're going to get ambushed over and over again. And so at the end of our time, we're going to talk through a series of questions that I hope will begin to give you a plan for making wise decisions. But before we do that, I want us to focus on this portion of Scripture. The first thing we see in these verses is that wise choices are rooted in truth about God's character. Wise choices are rooted in truth about God's character. In verses 1 to 9, there are eight of those nine verses focus on God. It is a theocentric section of Scripture. And it tells us a number of different things, but I want to focus on just three of them. This is not a propositional portion of Scripture. It is a poetic portion of Scripture. And it's the poetry of the Proverbs where they're painting pictures for us. And there's different threads woven together and sometimes the blue is with the green and the green is with the yellow and and this is sort of the way the Proverbs are written for us. But in this section, he focuses... Are we okay? In this section, he focuses on God's character. He tells us three things. First of all, God is sovereign. In verse 1... Let me just read verses one to five. The plans what am I doing? I'm okay. The plans of the heart. Should I put it in my pocket maybe? I'm gonna put it in my pocket, see if that works a bit better. Is that better? There we go. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. But assuredly, he will not be unpunished. God is sovereign. His sovereignty includes all that he is going to accomplish. It includes our good choices and our foolish choices. It includes life's great celebrations. It includes the calamities that follow in a life where we live in a creation that groans for redemption. His sovereign purpose includes the reality that those who reject His salvation in Christ will be brought to the righteous judgment that befits His own character. God is sovereign. His sovereignty includes The fact that you make real choices. He does not compel you to choose to do the right thing. He gives you freedom. And in that freedom, we can create all kinds of circumstances that have painful consequences. And in that environment of God's work in our lives, He is weaving a tapestry that will bring honor and glory to himself. His sovereignty includes our plans. he tells us in these verses that we make the plans but God gives the answer. verse 9 the man of men the mind of man plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. When I was with you last year about this time I had plans. My grandson had just been born. Another grandson was about to be born. I was going to go to Cuba for ministry. We were going to spend several weeks in Colorado. We were going to go to Oregon for a week. I was going to go to Singapore for a week. uh, or Actually, almost two weeks. I was going to go to Spain for two to three weeks and do ministry. I was going to uh, turn around and, and go to Haiti this next March. had big plans. In June, we discovered my wife had colorectal cancer. She had not been sleeping well for a few months, and that combined with the fact she has a family history of anxiety and depression, along with multiple anesthesias for the various aspects of her colorectal treatment and surgery, along with some medication to try to help deal with her anxiety. Caused her to spin into a suicidal depression. And all of my plans were changed. We've had six months like we've never experienced before. It has been incredibly painful. It has been harder than anything either of us have ever known in life. Her father had serious issues with something very similar. And so one of the things that had been in the back of her mind for really all of her adult life was, am I going to struggle with this kind of concern? But in the midst of these hard things, we've discovered several important truths. You know, you always are pretty sure your kids are going to come through for you. But it's really great when you know for sure they're going to come through for you. We've discovered how many people care about us and want to help us. One thing I've discovered is I appreciate my wife more now than I could have possibly loved and appreciated her a year ago. I didn't know how blessed I was to have a happy, healthy, joyful, fruitful wife. And right now, she's better. She has moments of happiness. We're seeing good progress. She's not healthy yet, but she has a very grateful husband. I've learned how to do some things I should have already known how to do around the house. I am now the pool man. Our deal when we got the pool was she was going to be the pool woman because I didn't really want the pool. But you're looking at a pretty qualified pool man now. I appreciate her more than ever. You see, my plans didn't include a major health crisis in our family. And yet God is weaving that very difficult, painful experience into a tapestry where His sovereignty is a source of comfort and strength. Realizing that in the midst of all of our frailties and our foolish choices, He is working to fulfill His purpose. Not only is God sovereign, but He is wise. He knows our motives according to verse 2. He deals with the cancer of pride, according to verse 5. Because nothing can destroy relationships like pride. He provides forgiveness and protects us from sin as we learn to fear the Lord. God is a wise God. God is a God who shows us that we don't have to learn everything the hard way. The book of Proverbs is filled with this kind of practical instruction. One of the things I've done consistently over the years of my life is take a month or two a year where I read through the Proverbs and just absorb the truth of these passages. One of the illustrations that helps me understand how wise God is and the practical fabric of our life is to remember how awesome The body is that He gave us. Let me just give you a few little details. Medical doctors probably know some of these things already. But the DNA in your body would circle the sun 260 times if it was laid out end to end. And in fact, in every nucleus of a cell, there is 1.6 meters of DNA. And the author of this analogy said, it's like taking 30 miles of fishing line and squeezing it into a cherry pit. The body is amazing in its efficiency. If a person rides a bicycle 10 miles in 60 minutes, which is a pretty leisurely bike ride, unless you're going up hills a lot. 10 miles in 60 minutes, you're not pushing hard all the way. You only uh, use three ounces of carbs. Now, that's bad news for a guy like me. Just three ounces of carbs. That's not even one slice of pizza. But if the car that you drive was as efficient as the body that you have, you would get 900 miles per gallon. The God who made this body for you that's more awesome than we can grasp is the same God who wanted, wants to give you the wisdom and the help to enjoy this body in a way that will honor him and please him. God is sovereign, God is wise. This passage tells us that he's good. Verse three says that he provides stability. To, he provides stability for us. It says that commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established, will be made firm. The word for commit means literally to roll your plans on God. Just roll them on. And ask him to fulfill his purpose. Even when he changes your plans. God is good. He provides forgiveness, as we've said. He gives us peace with our enemies, according to verse 7. He blesses those who trust Him. His wisdom is like a fountain of life. Zephaniah 3 says that He delights in His children. 1 John 3 says He lavishes or pours out His love upon us. God is good. He delights in blessing you. I'm a wicked father. I love my children, but I'm still a man that has a heart that has all the issues that every other human being has. I'm far less than I should be. But in all of my frailty, I'd do anything to be a blessing to my kids. Just think how much a perfect father is eager to pour out his blessings upon us. And as he does that, he will take even the hardships and the painful things and the consequences of our choices that are foolish and weave them together. So that in the midst of all of that, His purpose is accomplished. That truth about God is the foundation for making good decisions. Sometimes we think God is up in heaven and He has a good decision on a string and every time we get close to figuring out what the decision is, He jerks it away from us. And we get a little bit closer to making a decision that's good, He pulls it away from us. He does not play with us. He does not toy with us. He is eager to show you the path that you should follow. He wants you to know and do His will more than you could possibly want to know and do the will of God. And when that is reality for you, when you find security and hope and confidence in God's character, then you begin to obey God in a way that allows you to have the integrity in your relationships that will please Him. In verses 10 to 32 we see a, a glimpse of that kind of relationship uh, and some contrast with what it looks like to be a man that is, or a woman that's full of pride. In verses 10 to 15 we see some instructions for the king. And you may not be a king, there's not any of them here, but you may be the boss or you may have authority, you may be a parent, And so, one of the things in verses 10 to 15, which we're not going to focus on uh, explicitly, is that authority increases both opportunity and accountability. The more authority you have, the more opportunity you have to be a blessing, and the more accountability you have to God. So, parents, you're accountable to God for an awesome responsibility. You do have authority as a parent. But it is an authority that increases both the opportunity to bless and the accountability to God. If you're the boss of a business, read these verses carefully. Treat the people in a way that would honor God in your life. And then a couple other things in these verses as we just briefly look at this passage. There is the value of wisdom that is rooted in humility is emphasized over and over again. In fact, we're reminded that humility is not optional. It is inevitable. You will either humble yourself or God will humble you. He says in verse 16, it is better. This kind of wisdom is better than gold and silver. This kind of wisdom avoids evil and it protects the life of the person. Verse 20, 24, it talks about uh, God's instruction and wisdom bringing prosperity and blessing. It will give a person a reputation for discernment. It will be like an affair a fountain of life that enriches your life. It will guide your speech. It will benefit others. It will be sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. God wants you to have wisdom. He wants to give you the the insight that you need to be, be discerning in every circumstance. In fact, James 1, 5 through 7 tells us something really important. If you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you generously and without reproach. I'm sure Grant hammered that home last fall. I can't really say that I have fully utilized any verse in the Bible. But if there's one that I've come the closest to utilizing, it's James 1.5. Every time I would get together for counsel with somebody, we would pray this prayer. Every time we had a struggle at home, we would pray this prayer. This passage tells us that if you're double-minded, you'll be spiritually nauseated. And double-minded, this means, says, God, show me what to do, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it. God doesn't play that game. But if you have preemptive obedience, that is, God, you show me what to do, and I'm already on board to obey. He loves to give that kind of person all the wisdom they need. In all kinds of circumstances. And when you experience that kind of wisdom, you have a life that is blessed. It is sweet. It is a source of healing. doesn't mean you don't have problems. Don't mean It doesn't mean you don't go through crises like Kathy and I have been going through. But it does mean in the midst of that, there is still a sweetness that comes only from the Lord. Not only the value of wisdom that's rooted in humility, but the peril of pride. Basically, pride is saying, I'm smarter than God and better than other people. I'm smarter than God and better than other people. It says in verse 5, introducing this concept, is that the proud are an abomination. The word for proud literally means to be tall. In the deep south where I grew up. We would talk about a person's nose being in the air. Looking down at people. The person who looks down at person at people. It says that kind of person is a person headed for destruction. It's a person that, uh, that we should be careful of. It says don't even profit from that kind of person. And then in verses 26 to 30 we get to see what pride looks like. He describes pride in these terms. Uh, he says uh, that uh, he, such a person is worthless because he digs up evil. His words are like a scorching fire. He spreads strife. He separates intimate friends. He entices his neighbor. That is, he traps his neighbor and leads him towards something that's not good. He winks his eyes, devises perverse things, and he uh, compresses his lips and, and brings evil to pass. That kind of person is destructive the Bible says don't be that kind of person and don't be with that kind of person. Doesn't mean you don't care about them. Doesn't mean you don't have an intentional ministry with them. It just means you don't hang out with them. You don't hang out with them. You know, there's lots of practical wisdom. I remember my dad used to say nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody ever heard that from your dad? Anybody ever said that to your kids? Let me give you Horton's corollary. Only bad things happen after midnight if there's drug or alcohol involved. And so he said, be careful who you're with. It really matters. You don't have to be wicked to be destroyed by wickedness. Be aware of the peril of pride. There was a guy that became a vice president of a company. And he was really impressed with his title. One of those kind of deals where you got a title with no raise, you know. But he was proud of himself. And so he just couldn't. He brought in his vice president title to all kind of conversations. All kinds of conversations. Finally, his wife had had enough of it. And she said, honey, this is not that big a deal. Down at the supermarket, there's a vice president of peas. He said, you know, next day he just had to find out if she was telling the truth. So he called the supermarket and he said, I'd like to speak to the vice president of peas." And the lady on the other line said, fresh or frozen? Fresh or frozen? When you and I root our choices in God's character, what is going to please God in this situation rather than the circumstances or the people swirling about us when we express integrity in the relationships because of that commitment to God rather than being drawn into the chaos and the destruction of arrogance and pride, you and I experience an enhanced confidence and credibility in life. He says in verse 3 that we can roll our plans over on God and be certain that He will give us guidance and empowerment and maybe change the plans if they don't fit His purpose. We can have confidence that we can experience forgiveness and relational blessing. When Kathy and I walk uh, several times a week, a couple of miles, uh, we will pray and we will always start with all the things that are true about us no matter what we feel. We are forgiven by Christ. We are clothed in His righteousness. There is no condemnation for those of us who in Christ Jesus. We are empowered by His Spirit. We are beloved by our Heavenly Father. He sings over us. He delights in us. That truth gives us confidence. Verses 16 and 17 tells us that in the midst of all that's happened, when we gain the understanding that God wants to give us, It's more valuable than silver. And it's more precious than gold. That word for for understanding means both IQ and EQ. God wants to give you the discernment to know what to do. And He wants to give you the wisdom to know how to relate to people while you're doing that. He wants to give you a life that is full of significance and in fulfillment. In fact... In verses twenty to twenty-four, we see that kind of fulfillment, and we've already talked about this—about how we are blessed, how we experience sweetness and and uh, persuasiveness. Even our enemies are at peace with us, and as we experience that kind of significance and fulfillment, we have this sense that God is using my life, and I am fulfilling His purpose. Nothing more satisfying to no know. In the midst of my frailty, God is working to fulfill His purpose. And when He gives us that kind of confidence, over time, He'll give us credibility with people. Credibility with people. You see, credibility is really rooted in this concept of wisdom. Wise people have credibility. When you take character that is rooted in God's character... And you add the competence that is rooted in the diligence and the discipline that we see over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Work ethic is a pretty big issue from God's perspective. And I realize for younger folks, work ethic looks different. But at some point, you've got to get involved and do what you ought to do. And you may do it at home. You may do it on your computer at Starbucks. I understand there are different ways to work. But at some point, you've got to get involved and demonstrate That you can accomplish whatever somebody's paying you to do. Character plus confidence plus consistency brings credibility. And then when you experience a great crisis, if you still have character, confidence, consistency, God will give you great credibility. We didn't ask for this, but I've had a bunch of guys come and tell me, Something's different about your life because of what you and Kathy have gone through. Wouldn't volunteer for it. Didn't ask for it. And I wouldn't encourage you to ask for it. Something like this. But I'm saying that God won't waste it. God will not waste it. You see, part of God's plan is enlarging your confidence in Him and your credibility with others as you make wise decisions. And weaving a tapestry so when people look at that tapestry... They sense the most important part of the tapestry is the unseen reality of a relationship with the living God. There are a couple of verses in Psalm 37 that I want us to look at very quickly. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. So how do you make decisions? Let me just suggest seven questions. And this is one of the last questions found in this verse. Seven questions. You can find this in session 15 in our Launching Multipliers material. Grant can help you find that that resource if you'd like to. Seven questions. What's happening in my walk with Christ? Am I depending on Him? Am I living in obedience to what He's already told me? You see, if you're involved in immorality, don't expect God to give you wisdom about who, who to marry. When you disobey God about what He's clearly said, don't expect Him to give you insight about something that He hadn't clearly revealed in the Scripture. What's happening in my relationship? Am I living in what we call dependence mode? Day by day, looking for what God has for me to do in my life. Secondly, have I asked God for wisdom and direction? He says to ask and He'll help us. What fool folly for us not to do that? Thirdly, are there spiritual and moral factors in this decision? Ask, how is this going to affect other things, even if it's not clearly revealed in the Scripture? My dad had a chance to to go to the Pentagon in the 60s. He would have changed his career. He would have gotten a big promotion. He would have had a much brighter, bigger career in the military, but it would have meant taking his family, his children, his teenagers from a settled and stable and healthy, thriving environment. And he says, no, not going to do that. My family's more important than that promotion. Thirdly, fourthly rather, how can my life best honor God? Is this going to give me a chance to have an impact for Christ? That's significant. And sometimes it doesn't mean going to an easier place. Sometimes the harder place will give you an opportunity to serve God. Have I sought wise counsel? The purpose of wise counsel is not so they can give you the answer. It's so they can help you ask the right questions. Because if you ask three people, they may tell you three different things. Six. What do I desire to do? Wait a minute. That's what Psalm 37 says. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting yourself in God, ask, what do I want to do? Because the closer you are to God, the more you're going to want to do what He wants you to do. And when you're really walking with God, you can't wait to do what you want to do. Because you know for sure it's what God wants you to do. And then finally, what happens if I become confused or disobedient or make a mistake? And you will. You'll have a bad motive. You'll get confused. You'll get things distorted. When you find out you've made a mistake, what do you do? You say, I'm in the wrong place. I've made a mistake. God, help me. Forgive me for not listening clearly enough. Forgive me for getting ahead of myself. Forgive me for not asking wisdom. Now, what's amazing about the tapestry is that may be a dark thread in your story. It may take you a while to get back to a place where you're really in tune with what God wants you to do. But you will learn something you couldn't learn if you never made a mistake. Don't try to make mistakes. You'll make plenty of them on your own. But when you make a mistake, make sure you pass the course. If you pay the tuition, pass the course. And by the way, when you go to look for counsel from people, don't go to people who've never made a mistake. Because the people who've learned from their mistakes are often the wisest counselors you can find. And in the midst of that, Psalm 37. Let me just close with this. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, headlong. Because the Lord is the one who holds His hand. If I'm walking with God, I may stumble, I may scrape my knee, but I won't be destroyed. Because He's got me by His hand. When I walk with a little one-year-old Reed, there's no chance in the world he's going to fall. His, his leg may be up above the ground, but he is not going to fall. I've got him by the hand, and my Heavenly Father has me by the hand. And this prov- this series of Proverbs tells us something really important. Decisions rooted in God's character, expressing relational integrity, enhance our confidence in God and our credibility with people. Let's pray. Father, use uh, this truth to encourage each of us to be bold, to not be passive and fearful as we make choices, but to follow a plan that allows us to really root our decisions in your character and our confidence in you and gives us the opportunity to to make decisions that allow us to have relationships with people that are useful to you with complete confidence that you want to use us and that you're able to help us. We thank you for that truth. Thank you for the fact that what Christ did on the cross makes it possible for us to know you and to share this kind of intimate journey with you.